great. So how many of you were not here last Sunday? So this is uh, part two of what's the point? What's the point? Uh, last week I ended part one by sharing the beginning of where this particular word started by stating this. Three weeks ago, uh, during the worship song set, as I was looking out over all of you worshiping Jesus from my perch up in the sound booth, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, 2020 will be a year of great transition for many in this room. And the point of transition, the point of transition will begin in March. Okay, so any of you dealing with decisions, big decisions, transitional decisions, you need to stand up. Just stand up. I just want to see. Right, so you're going to make a decision that's going to be a, a life-transforming decision, right? Transition, that's what transition is. Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. just wanted to see how relevant this all feels, you know, because I got to tell you, from uh, my little place in this universe, you can see. yeah, <laughs> she was hoping that the transition was just going to happen, I, that the prophet would come out and wave his hands and say, no. <laughs> you are. You are. You are. Oh, you have been in transition for the last 31 years, my dear. <laughs> yeah. Someone wonder if you marry that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so added, added to that statement... Uh, is something said several weeks ago in the Advent series by Lindsay Prue while teaching on joy. She made this statement that she heard Bill Johnson make in a podcast teaching, and Bill Johnson was quoting someone else in saying this, and referring to uh, the dynamic of the joy in the interaction between uh, Mary, when she's pregnant with Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth, when they connect and the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy and Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Because Jesus is there in Mary's womb, right? So Lindsay said, I recently listened to a sermon Bill Johnson gave called The, Dis the Discipline of Joy. And he gives an alternate translation to this verse, the verse she was just had been reading. He broke down the words, nothing and impossible. So nothing shall be impossible with God is, is the verse statement, right? So he breaks down the words nothing and impossible. Nothing separates into two words, no and thing. No thing. Thing is commonly translated in the Bible as freshly spoken word of God. Freshly spoken word of God. Impossible is translated as without ability. When you alternate this translation and forge the verses together, it states, no freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain in itself its own ability to perform itself. I, I, I don't know if you caught that when she preached that, but I about fell out of my seat. 
Right, so I'm going to read that to you again because you've got to catch this thing. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain in itself its own ability to perform itself. He further explained that God will call you to do the impossible, so in receiving his word, he enables you to do what he requires you to do. So should I read that whole thing over again? All right. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain in itself its own ability to perform itself. He further explained that God will call you to do the impossible. Anyone have an impossible? You're looking at an impossible somewhere? You got an impossible? Come on, you know you got one. Right? Right? So in receiving his word, he enables you to do what he requires you to do. In other words, the word of God is active, right, and sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God never returns to him void. If he speaks it, it goes out, and it will accomplish what he determined it to accomplish, right? It doesn't come back empty. It always does what it needs to do. That means... We get caught up in the doing of the word that the word itself is doing. Right? Just let your noodles settle a little bit. Right? You understand wh what I'm saying to you? Okay, good. So let me out update the outworking of the prophetic timeline since the release of the word last week. When I released that word, 2020, a year of transition, the point of transition begins in March. Anyone cut March as significant? Oh, this is really good. This is and, and there were some who were here last week who just were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. So, so that you can begin to understand the ability of a prophetic word to accomplish its own purposes and also to let you see what you have been invited into as the word was spoken over this community as a whole and not just an individual. So four weeks ago now, because last week it was three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, during the worship song set, as I was looking out over all of you worshiping Jesus from my perch up in the sound booth, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, 2020 will be a year of great transition for many in this room and the point of transition will begin in March. Now, at that time, I felt no compulsion to share this, this as a word to any individual or to the congregation as a word from the Lord. I heard it. I acknowledged it by reiterating it in my head several times, and then I just went on with my day. Right? I just made sure I heard what I heard, Got a sense of confirmation from the Holy Spirit. The word stayed in my head as a pondering. Monday, I wake up, I'm thinking about it. Transition, transition's coming. Great transition's coming. It's just, just going on in my head, right? First about the point. Thus my topic, what's the point? Because that's what I thought about the most for the first week and a half. What's the point? I kept going to the point. What's the point? I had a double row list of point of statements starting with point of transition. Things like 
point of contention, point of view, point of departure, point of no return, point of contact, point of connection. Any point at all? Point of impact, point of turning, no point, pointless, etc., etc., etc. I'm just trying to dig up the fallow ground in my mind, trying to find a place where this, this word is going to take a seed root in my, in my spirit, in my soul, so it can begin to bring forth what he wants me to accomplish with it, right? That's what I do. I just mull the word, mull. I like mull. Isn't that an interesting word, huh? Mull. I was essentially bringing up the fallow ground of my mind to find a seedbed for this word, and then suddenly I find myself thinking about Naaman and his struggle with obeying the prophet and washing in the Jordan River to be healed of leprosy. Right? So I open my Bible and I read the whole story. Now when I say I read the whole story, I didn't just read it and say, oh, interesting. I read it and I read it. And I went back and I read some of that and then I read it all again. I focused on some aspect until finally I'm looking at this little girl. And that is what you heard last week, the story of Naaman and the little girl who was stolen out of Israel. But meanwhile, the word itself was at work in the background, and this is what that looks like now in hindsight. I finished my notes for the sermon on Friday prior to last Sunday. That means I have been pondering and handling this word for three weeks. That is not normal for me. Right? I preach today, tomorrow morning, I will go into the word and I will begin to read the word and I will begin to develop a word for next Sunday. Okay, That's just how I've rolled for 20 odd years, week to week to week to week. Right? This one was different. Okay. On Saturday, Eric Shanley mentions to me that Rob Ferrara and his family, do you all know Rob? He was here last week, right? He was here a couple of years ago. Do you remember when he came a couple of years ago and he preached and he shared some things, some really horrible things that had gone on in his family that affected his daughter, Noel. Okay? This is important to know. He says, Rob Ferrara and his family will be here on Sunday, and I think, oh, good, this might be a good sermon for them to hear. Right? Then Eric goes on to say, and they are moving to Italy in March. I said, oh, come on. Come on, right? It's confirmation. So, of course, that is confirmation for me, right? And then I get the email podcast from Chris Volatin uh, with his prophetic word for 2020 I shared last week. Did any of you look that up? Did any of you listen to that podcast? Oh, boy. You've got to hear it. It's really, really good. And that's another huge confirmation uh, that we are tracking with the Father's purpose. I really felt confident about putting the word out on Sunday by Saturday night because of those two confirmations, right? It's always good to have everything confirmed at the mouth of two or more witnesses, right? That don't take that scripture lightly, right? When you got confirmation, oh, man, you can just move in the things of God because you know that you know that you know that you know. Right? There's no doubt when you know that you know that you know that you know. Right? So, 
And during the break time and even before the service, there are conversations going on about possible job and career changes and of selling houses and moving and all kinds of transitional discussions are going on before I even get to the pulpit, right? So I'm just like, oh, this is awesome, just awesome, right? And just before I'm going to the pulpit, Eric says to me, seeing that this word is prophetic, do you think we should have the older Sunday school kids stay down here to hear it? Sure, I say, just check with Lindsay, and she says, I had a feeling this was going to happen. <laughs> so Robin Vanya's oldest daughter, Noelle, decides to sit right here with Martha during the word. Normally, she would have gone upstairs to Sunday school. Uh, Noelle is not allowed to play with cell phones as part of her normal routine. Right? So when Martha brings out her cell phone with the Bible app and note-taking features, Noelle is intrigued. And Martha shows her how it works. Noel ends up with the phone, searching the scriptures and taking notes on Martha's phone. Right? Now she's 10. She's 10 years old. She's a little girl. Right? So she is into this word, and here's her personal situation. Noel is a 10-year-old girl, little girl, who because of military deployment is getting yanked out of the place and relationships that she has come to know as home and safe and being uprooted and moved to a foreign land and isn't sure how to process it all and suddenly the story in the Bible of the little Jewish girl being taken in a military raid and uprooted to a foreign land away from all that is safe and familiar and family and friends, suddenly this is her story. She's getting it right there. I mean, she's getting slammed with it right there. Awareness opens up her spirit. God is in this. This is her conclusion. Not about the little girl in the story, about her little story. God is in this. God is moving me. God's got a purpose in all of this. Now she knows, at 10 years old, she knows in her knower, she knows that she knows that she knows that God is in this move. He has a plan, and she is part of it, and the anxiety and fear of the unknown tomorrows of her life are gone. Right? The prophetic word was already at work before it was ever preached. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain in itself its own ability to perform itself. Isn't that good? Mm -hmm. But that does not mean we are to become mere silent observers. No, we always have a part to play. Right? Let me read you another story from our Ancient historical text of Israel, same kingdom, bad situations, potential for mass destruction, kind of like today's news headlines, right? Until servanthood and the prophetic unite in active faith to show us the keys to this kingdom dynamic. Second Chronicles 20, and this is a, a rather long read, so relax. Take in the word. 
let the word do what the word can do in you before you ever do anything with the word that you get, okay? I think. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Meunites. I like that. Any of you a Meunite? Hey, what about me? What about me? This is about me, right? Me, me. What's that cartoon? Mine, mine. The, the seagulls come down. Mine, mine. They're Meunites, right? <laughs> I never saw that in the word before, Meunites. I might start using that. And the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, right? The ten tribes of Israel have already been conquered. They're already dispersed. Judah and Benjamin are the last two tribes left. Jerusalem is standing as the capital, and Jehoshaphat is now king of Judah. And what a name, huh? Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. It's okay. It's okay to be afraid. If you have a circumstance, a situation, right, a dilemma, it's okay to be afraid. Fear is a natural emotional response. Sometimes fear can save your life, right? Fight or flight, you know that idea, right? So... It's okay to be afraid. It's what you do with it that makes the difference. And he set his face to seek the Lord. When was the last time you took fear, the emotional bam of fear, and turned in prayer? Right? Not a good idea, right? He was afraid, so he turned his face toward the Lord to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah, his little country, assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Right? Good response. So not only was an individual being drawn on, but a whole corporate people group, kind of like what's happening here. Right? That word came out as a word over this community, not just an individual, not a few individuals. It came out over this community as this community was in worship, as they were focused on the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke. Okay? So it's important to know that there is the individual responsibility of response as well as a corporate responsibility to response. You can't sit in these seats and say, uh, that doesn't belong to me. If you're in a seat, it belongs to you. Okay. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. 
Do you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abram, Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. So they're talking about a temple, right? Jehoshaphat is talking about a building. Inside that building, there is a an altar and uh, a mercy seat, and on that is the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant abides the living presence of the living God. And nobody ever saw it except the high priest once a year, right? And he better go in sinless or they dragged him out by the rope around his ankle. But where is the house of the Lord now? You are the house of the Lord, right? You don't need a building. You don't need a, a, a little box with angels on it, right? He's in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We can turn our attention wherever we are. We don't have to go to a location, to a specific city, to the capital of anything. The kingdom of God is in us. We have all that we need to process the situation as hand because he is all we need to process the situation at hand. So if disaster comes upon us, the sore judgment, pestilence, or famine, if any of those things are coming upon you, what's your disaster? What's your situation? What's your crisis? What's your circumstance? Turn to the Christ in you. Make your plea. Turn your, turn your affections towards him. Can't you see, O oh Lord, what's happening to your temple? The threats that are being made to the peace that should be abiding in me because you are in me? Lord, I petition you as Lord of my life, as King of my existence, as all that you are in relationship to me. I petition you within me. Lord, hear my cry because I turn my attention to you. Right? What's he going to do? He's going to hear from heaven and do, and do. For your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O Lord, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes, but our eyes are where? On you. So, how many of you have a situation that you really don't know what to do? You getting instruction here? Right, so this is like 800 BC, 
700 BC, somewhere, somewhere in there, right, that this is taking place, but you know what? It's the same and more today. Because you don't have to go and get a, a pigeon or a calf or a sheep and kill it and pour its blood out on an altar. You don't have to travel three days through the wilderness to get to a city on a hill to, to a temple. You don't have to do anything like that. You just have to turn your attention to Jesus in you because he is the sacrifice. He already paid the price. He already accomplished the victory. When he said it's finished, it included all of your dilemmas. Right? You were not left out. You were not excluded in any aspect of your life. Ask little Noel. At 10 years old, who for the last couple of weeks had been just beside herself. Her mom and her dad were just, wow. What happened? God is in this mom. God's doing this. Right? She got it. Where'd she get it? Right in here. Right in here. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. You know, we have an enemy. You have an enemy. The whole host of hell is your enemy. And believe me, they come against you all the time. You know, what the heck just happened? Where'd that come from? Right? How did it end up there? What got into you anyways? <laughs> right? So my little uh, great-granddaughter, Delaney. Have, have any of you seen Delaney? She's just the cutest little button. And um, so they're, they're living at my house right now, so I have Delaney time every night. I, I put my recliner back, I put it way back, and I sit her on my lap, and, and we do this thing called boing. Right? And boing is I stand her up on my belly, and I just kind of bounce a little bit. Then I go boing, and I hold her up over my head. And she's looking at the bookcase behind her, which has a thousand different colors and shapes. And she's just up there wiggling away, laughing. Oh, this is a great thing. And I bring her down slowly, and I wiggle her down. And then when she hits my belly, I go boing. She just starts laughing again. So. Seven months? Yeah, little baby girl. So last week she goes, <laughs> said, what the heck is that? <laughs> it wasn't a bear, it was this noise she made, right? This growling noise. I said, Delaine, where'd that come from? <laughs> is she making that at your house? <laughs> so I said, to, I said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You come out of that little girl right now. I don't want her growling at me. <laughs> right? She hasn't growled once this week. Right? Listen, we have enemies. We have an enemy. He wants to rob you of joy. He wants to steal the, the, the Christ life out of you. Right? Life and life more abundant. He doesn't care if you live. He just doesn't want you living abundantly. He doesn't want you living for Christ. You go live your life, stop in at the bar, get a brew, grab a pizza, Watch the game. You know, he doesn't care about any of that. 
But as soon as it entails something about the kingdom, warfare breaks out. Warfare breaks out. Marriages dissolve. Kids run away. Get addicted. All kinds of stuff. It's a constant barrage. And we come overwhelmed with fear and circumstance and situation. We forget to pray. Forget to address our enemy. You can't do that to this little thing. Come out of there. Stop it right now. Right? End it now. What's the enemy throwing at you? What's the constant barrage? You know, I, I do martial arts. I do Tai Chi now. I used to do karate, a couple of black belts and Tai Chi. And I was talking to my Tai Chi instructor about the application of some of the moves. And um, I said, well, just hit him in this muscle. He said, what do you mean, hit him in this muscle? Yeah. I said, well, it's two things you want to do. You want to take away firepower and mobility. So you hit these muscles in the arm, and they got no firepower, and then you kick them in the shins, and they got no mobility. Right? Well, it's the quickest way to end a fight. These are principles of warfare. It's the same thing in spiritual warfare. Right? Take away the firepower. Resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. But more than resist, we got the ability to cast him out. We can take away his mobility. So he isn't just going away from you and towards somebody else. You can direct him to the beam of seat of Jesus Christ and ask the Lord to judge this thing and send him where you want to send him, Lord. And he's out of the picture. And this is serious stuff. Jehoshaphat understood this in the natural. We do not, do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Listen, include your kids in prayer, will you? Tell us, some of you might have heard this. I think uh, when we were still a house church in my living room, and I think Katrina was, was she four, four or five? four or five years old. And we had a girl that came up from uh, Concord, New Hampshire every week. Someone brought her up. She was a multiple personality, probably a little bit schizo too. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember what her real name was, but she wanted to be called Angel. So that's what everyone called her. And she was very volatile, depending on what personality was up and active. And she came through the door with the person that brought her in on this particular night, and she was already F-bombing. I mean, everyone just, oh, you can't do that, you know, the word of the Lord does that, and they're throwing scripture at her, and the more they throw her, the more she'd throw out, you know, she'd just get worse and worse, and she's sitting on the couch, and the guy that brought her up is, like, trying to hide, you know, this was terrible scene, terrible situation, and people don't know what to do, and Little Katrina walks up, looks her right in the face, and says, Angel, where does it hurt? All the steam went out. All the steam went out. See, your kids perceive things different. Cleaner. They hear purer, right? 
They're not bogged down with all the years of emotional bombardment that we end up with by the time we're able to minister. We've got our own stuff in the way. So we start throwing that out, and the other person got their stuff, and you've got a conflict going on rather than a resolution. But you put a kid in the mix, where's it hurt? That's all Katrina knew. She's this way. She must hurt. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jeel, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So, there's a lot of sons. There's a reason why, if you search out these names, you're going to see prophetic. Zechariah was a prophet, right? Asaph, right, was a worshiper for David. Oh, the Levites were the priestly tribe. They had no inheritance of Israel. The Lord himself was their inheritance. So here's a priestly worshiper with a prophetic cutting edge, right? But he's just part of the body. He came with the women and the kids and the families to pray with Jehoshaphat. He didn't come as the prophet. He came to participate, to give his part. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So let me, let me read that over you. If you've got a circumstance, if you've got a situation, if you need a transition, put your hand up before I read this, all right, so you can receive this. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. But God's. And listen, this is 7800 BC. That statement is far more truer since the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because all the promises of the Father, the battle is not yours, but God's, was made yes and amen by what Christ did on the cross and through the power of the resurrection. So for you, it's more meaningful. For you, it's more accessible. You don't have to do all the religious stuff. You just have to do Jesus. And he's in you. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. What's really interesting is I know the place he's talking about. I can show you the, the mound where the city was that they had taken over for this invasion. We'll not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Can I read that again? You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Where are you going to stand firm? On that rock, right? On that rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. He is the only firm foundation. 
Stir, stand firm on Christ. Know that when he said it's finished, it was done. It was done for you. You don't have to fight. You have to pray. You have to dialogue. You have to converse with the Lord because the battle isn't yours, it's his. You want involvement? Talk to him. He's fighting it. You aren't. I mean, you can if you want for the rest of your life, right? Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Here's the response to that word. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. Isn't that a good response? They got in their face before the Lord and worshiped. And when they went down, all the worshipers stood up. All the professional, all the minstrels, all the, all the players, all the singers with a very loud voice and worshiped God. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Now, I want to adjust that a little bit to our situation. Believe in Jesus and be established. Believe in the prophetic words spoken over this body. Believe it by faith that God is going to transition you beginning sometime in March. Something's going to begin to change. Some things have already started for some people. They just got a hold. Noel got her answer. All she's doing in March now is moving. Everything else is settled. Isn't that good? Wouldn't you like it to be that way by the time you get to March? It's all settled. It's just got to make the change, right? You do that by believing the prophetic word. You, you believe in the Lord. You're established. You believe in his word or you believe in his prophets, and you will prosper. And you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Listen, they haven't even got the victory yet. They're on the way to battle singing a victory song. Right? That's faith. That is faith. They didn't wait to see the victory. They sang the song on their way to see it because they believed God's word. And when they began to sing in praise, now I don't know what that will be for you in your situation. In whatever your dialogue is with the Lord, however you present this to the Lord, whether it's through song or praise or prayer or just getting into the word, and saying, Lord, I just want to find this in your word. I want to know what your word says about this. Uh, what, or if it's sitting down and getting counsel with someone or praying with another person, 
whatever it is, for them it was song and praise. As they began to do that, as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. They hadn't even got there yet. Before I ever preached the word last week, God was moving. Listen, I thought of this. It blew my mind when, when I came to this conclusion. God caused the United States Air Force to move troops, her father and his family, in order for this little girl to get the healing she needed. He moved the U.S. military to accomplish his will. Huh? Think about that. Right? They would not have even been here if he didn't get deployed to Italy. Kind of God do we serve? <laughs> Goodness. What's he already doing on your behalf? You don't even know. You won't even know until it's resolved, until the situation is ended, and you look in hindsight and you say, oh my God, what has he done? For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting themselves to destruction. <laughs> and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. Before they ever got there, their enemies were destroyed. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. So not only did they get out of the situation, they prospered from what was out to destroy them. It came to be a benefit to them. So what's the point? The Spirit of God has spoken to the church and to whatever degree the church invests itself into the word, both individually and corporately, to that degree will blessings flow. Bondages will be broken, and Jesus will be glorified in our midst. Listen, in this story, there are a number of very practical things the word is showing us to do. Praise and worship. Coming together as community to petition the Lord. Getting on your face before the Lord and humbling yourself to worship him. Singing praise to his name. Listen, when you start to feel the weight of oppression from the situation that's going on, lift up your hands and begin to worship. 
turn on a worship CD, something that you are familiar with so you can sing along with it and let it be the words of your own mouth and not just something coming into your ear. Be a participant in constant worship and praise. Focus on who's inside the temple that is your body. And present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, because it's your reasonable service. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? I think what I'd like to do today, rather than having a ministry time at the end, as like some people praying for other people, uh, all of that, um, I'd like to just follow Jehoshaphat's lead. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Right? So you can be dismissed to your car, to your home, to wherever you're going, or you can be dismissed to up front here to humble yourself before the Lord. Bring your situation. Bring your circumstance. Get on your knees and put your face into the carpet as I vacuum it. It's, it's clean. You'll be good. right? Let's do what the word shows us to do. Because what that says to the Lord is, they have faith in my word. They have faith in my word. And if you honor his word, right, he'll establish you. If you honor his prophetic word, you get the victory. Right? So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come this morning. Lord, there, if there's 100 people in this room, then there's 100 different circumstances and situations that could all be addressed in prayer. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come as the presence, just like the Shekinah glory in the temple was the presence. You are our abiding presence. You've come into the church You've come into our lives, and you do not go away. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to travel. We don't have to do anything except come to you, Holy Spirit, in humility, with our needs, to petition you in prayer. So today, O oh God, for each one who comes to humble themselves, would you, O oh God, give them the realization that you're already at work. You've already released your word, and your word is at work to accomplish your will, and your will, O oh God, is to love us and for us to love you. So come and do what only you can do in this battle we call life. Come, Holy Spirit. So you can just begin to make your way up and find a slot, a spot. Begin to pray and petition the Lord. Bring your stuff to him.
He knows your need before you even ask, but there's something in the asking. There's something in the relational quality of put, putting that before him that activates something, I think, more in us than in him. If you don't need to uh, spend time with the Lord in this fashion, you're free to go. You're free to stay there in your chairs and pray if you need to or want to, uh, just to be participatory in this. But the Lord bless you and keep you. May his countenance uh, settle on you. May his love abide in you and cause transition to happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.